Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Top five, a show where we count them down. Sometimes we turn the channels. Sometimes we get to catch them in reruns. Sometimes they are the thing that occupy our afternoons. This week on top five, top five sitcoms. What is a sitcom? Situation comedy is what it stands for. Yep. And they've been around since television. Yeah, the one of the first shows on television was a sitcom. Yeah, forget all the variety so shows. Like- let's, let's structure it into a story and still make it funny. What was that called? It was like Bob and Nora or something. It was even before uh, the the Lucy show. Yeah, I don't know. I can't even remember. On the Dumont Network. Maybe See, it will. Maybe prepare for the shows, and this is the kind of wonderful content you get. Yeah. Maybe it will appear on someone's list. <gasps> As we start at the bottom with our number five, Rodrigo, what do you have for number five? My number five is uh, Family Matters, mm. which is... Yeah, and hmm, it's right because that? yeah, because Family Matters is is really kind of like this legendary cautionary tale of what happens when a character becomes popular and then that character is just given more and more and more screen time. Mm-hmm. Um, Family Matters starts out as the story, uh, basically the story of Carl Winslow. He's a cop. He lives in Chicago. He provides for his family. They live a good life. Um, and they have a funny mishaps like, oh, no, Eddie forgot his homework. And Laura is like, you know, over there. Um, <laughs> and then I, I want to say in the second episode, uh, they just have this guest character uh, bothering Laura is this kid named Steve. And people loved Steve Urkel. And he just took over the show. Yep. <laughs> like, and the show just got weirder and weirder and weirder from there. There were robots. There was time travel. There mm-hmm. was like all kinds of stuff. And it's just from them like following this through line of like, what's Urkel going to do next? It was nuts. Um, yeah, my number five family matters kind of like, uh, you know, now we take a step back and look at family matters and said this turned into a nonsense, right? Just complete mm-hmm. nonsense. But in its time, it was actually very popular and very successful. So Maybe that wasn't wrong. That's how you got the kids to stay home on a Friday night. Watch oh, yeah. Family Matters. Way cool weekdays. ABC, what was it? Uh, what was Friday's called on ABC? TGIF. TGIF, that's right. That's Toes right. Toes go in first. It reminded you to how to put on your shoes. Is that what it was? Okay. Yeah. Matthew, what do you have for number five? Well, my number five is a little earlier, but it's a similar cautionary tale in a lot of ways in that 
the creator claims that he wrote this show as a microcosm of society. And so, as such, he put in a representative of each major perspective in society. Now, granted, they were all Caucasian, but it was the 60s. We'll give them half credit. You know, you had uh, you had your, your working class guy, you had your rich guy, you had your super educated guy, you had uh, your, your farmer's daughter, you had your famous, famous person, and you had Gilligan. And so Gilligan's Island, supposedly, is seven people trapped on an island becoming a microcosm of society where you can play out larger socio-political issues on a small stage. And what it turned into was jackassery but epic, memorable, beautiful jackassery. And people really do crap on Gilligan's Island. And I'm not saying that there aren't reasons to do that. There's, there's a point in the show where it's kind of a very obvious point of diminishing returns. And season three has a lot of dream episodes that are kind of weird and esoteric and intentionally subvert the formula because the formula has stopped working. But those are my favorite episodes. And when you actually look at what Gilligan's Island did with a very limited cast of very talented people, they made memorable, albeit not necessarily for all the right reasons, but they made memorable half hours of television for three years. And they were only fired by accident. They were actually told they were going to get picked up for another season, but apparently the president of the network loved Gunsmoke, which was going to be canceled, and he put his foot down and said, cancel something and give me back my Gunsmoke, and so Gilligan's Island got the axe. Wow. But if you, if you go back and you actually sit and watch Gilligan's Island and you look at just the performances of a Jim Backus, Jim Backus is gold. That man can sit there and do nothing and be just riveting. And the physical comedy that, uh, that Bob Denver is capable of, or maybe Bob Denver's stunt double is capable of, hmm. beautiful stuff. When you see the skipper do his look at the camera, Oliver, Oliver Hardy thing, and then slap him with the hat, it all seems goofy. But when you really stare at it for long enough, it hypnotizes you. And it's kind of like Stockholm Syndrome, but you learn to love it. And th this is the selling point for me. Do you want to know why you should love Gilligan's Island? Why? There why? are seven people seven people in the regular cast, right? Yeah. Every episode or so, somebody shows up. Vito Scotti, legendary character actor, showed up four times as three separate characters. <laughs> Nobody recognized him as the guy who was on the island six months ago. And that, my friends is what we like to call perfect. So that's why my number five, Gilligan's Island, really one of the most phenomenally entertaining, dumb things you'll ever see. I've been watching it again with the 12-year-old these last year or two. It's back in syndication, and we watch it, and she's like, have we seen this one before? I'm like, we've seen them all before, and we'll see them again. Yeah, there's only five stories. They're just recycled again and again. But you know what? They still work. That's the thing that's fascinating. They do uh, a Jack and the Beanstalk episode where everybody's in different roles, and the professor plays a creepy old man with a mm. Gabby Hayes laugh like this, and it's hysterical to see him just chewing up all the scenery in this role. At one point, 
he gets the princess to kiss him, to turn him into a handsome prince, and nothing happens. She's like, what's that? He's like, I lied. I'm not really a prince. <laughs> but just seeing Russell Johnson loving that role and just sucking all the joy in the universe into that role, that right there is worth the price of admission, which is free. Yeah. Uh, Gilligan's Island was my number seven on my list. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, my number five, though, <laughs> goes back earlier than Gilligan's Island to a time where how do we talk about social issues of the time, but do it in a way that doesn't seem like social issues of the time? And how do we rip off another television show that was also going on <laughs> a few years before? I know. Let's set it in prehistoric time. Everybody will eat Bronto burgers and their cars will be driven by their feet. And eventually... And eventually, the show will devolve into craziness like every other sitcom, and we will introduce an alien. I'm talking about the Flintstones. <laughs> and if you watch the like the super, super early stuff, they do talk about not like super serious social issues like we have now, but things like, you know, don't, you know, the one that, I, that I'm thinking of that immediately pops to mind is where there's an open fence line between Barney and Fred's uh, yard, and they decide that because they're the best pals in the world, uh, we will create a, a community pool for ourselves to share. And then suddenly uh, fences get built, and they're arguing over whose space. And sometimes, mm-hmm. not ha- sometimes putting fences up early is a better way to keep friendships than by tearing fences down. No, wait, that doesn't make sense. But uh, Flintstones, I thought was a really fascinating show. And for me, it was one that every afternoon or every morning was on syndication, and I could sit there right. and watch the Flintstones, and it was a yabba-dabba-doo time. So Flintstones lands at my number five. Rodrigo, what do you have for number four? Uh, my number four is uh, one of those classic family sitcoms. You have kind of a dumb dad... You have uh, an overworked mom, some kids, a funny baby. You already said Um, family matters. I did, but this is, in fact, dinosaurs. Oh, no. Not the the baby. baby. Yes, I'm the baby. Gotta love me. Um, Alternately, not the mama. Yeah, baby Sinclair has a lot of catchphrases. Uh, so uh, this show is was really interesting for a lot of reasons. It seems like possibly the most expensive sitcom ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like those suits had to be like massive and and uh, completely animatronically controlled. Um, the show looks great. You just blue spines on Kevin James, and you're good to go. Yeah, you just like put dots on uh, put some dots on Patrick Warburton, and you're set. Um, but uh, yeah, so dinosaurs actually like really went in and tackled some like hard issues. You know, they talked about workers' rights. They talked mm-hmm. about sexual harassment. They talked mm-hmm. about all kinds of like global climate change. You know, there's all of these big issues that, you know, get uh, essentially delivered to people who are watching the show in this guise of like funny dinosaur family sitcom. Um but really, you know, they were taking some progressive stances on on a lot of things. It always made it really interesting. It didn't have too many seasons. I want to say there were maybe two or three seasons only. Um, but, uh, yeah, dinosaurs, like anytime, you know, Jim Henson gets involved 
and or the Jim Henson company gets involved in anything, it's definitely worth at least to, to check it out. And Dinosaurs is no exception. Very cool. Matthew, what do you have for number four? Oh my. my number four is the one that everybody's going to expect me to go for. And I argued about whether it had to be on here, and then I realized it does have to be on here. If it's your list, it's your list. And here's why. Well, there are different justifications for what goes on my list, because I actually, and this one I had a list of, a hard list of 12 that I had to whittle away, and each time it was Sophie's Choice. And I felt like I had to keep my number four simply because of one thing. And the one thing is a testimony by a man named John Lennon. And someone said to John Lennon, they said, John, what do you think about those monkeys? And John Lennon said, I think they're great. I think they're the new Marx Brothers. And so my number four is The Monkeys, 1966, a sitcom that was created to show us the life of a fictional band. And as such, they created albums from that fictional band to sell the sitcom. But what they actually did was create a pretty solid band. And, you know, they were decades ahead of their time in a lot of ways. If you actually sit and watch an episode of The Monkees, the pacing is very modern, very frenetic. They'll do little freeze frame moments with jokes in them. They'll actually reference being in the show. They break the fourth wall. There's an episode with Rosemary where she's singing old show tunes like she used to do on the Dick Van Dyke show. And Mike is playing the piano and he's like, and here we go again. It's a moment that kind of breaks through the whole thing. But when they actually do get really nuts in season two, things go completely out the window and it becomes this really neat, psychedelic, weird 60s television series. The final episode of The Monkees features an alien who looks like a giant marijuana plant from outer space called the Frodis, who is trapped by the evil wizard Glick and is being forced to use his brain powers to hypnotize people through the television. And so the monkeys have to help him escape to his spaceship so that he can fly back to Frodis space. And that does not quite do the episode justice. You really need to sit down and watch it and maybe listen to the music, buy an album, do the whole thing. But it's a, it's really hard to describe the show, but if you were to describe it in one of those elevator pitches, it's proto-MTV meets everything that you like about reality television, minus the things that you generally hate. And it takes four really talented guys and gives them a platform to be awesome and then be really hated and then be beloved and then be really hated and then be super beloved and now to be like elder statesmen of rock who still won't get in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because John Wenner is John Wenner, and that's that's what John Wenner does. And I'm not bitter about that because my number four is the monkeys. Cool. Uh, my number four is one that, again, old television, but I, I only got to see it because it was on when I came home from school or was on in the mornings or something when I was younger. But it was a, a couple. One was, uh, where was he from? Uh, he was he was Latin, and she was this redhead. Of course, everything was in black and white, so you couldn't tell she was a redhead. But they had the craziest adventures because he was just trying to run his business as an entertainer, 
and she was trying to always do something that was a little crazy or zany. And by the end, Ricky would always laugh and Lucy would always cry and they would always kiss and make up. And there was something about this really weird show called I Love Lucy that, um, I don't know, there, there's something about it that I always enjoyed watching, even though some of the antics were improbable, impossible. You know, you don't mm-hmm. make a loaf of bread and then suddenly because you put too much baker's yeast in it, uh, uh, suddenly it is longer than the size of the oven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's still funny. And for a young kid, I'm talking about six, seven, eight. I Love Lucy is a show that made me laugh all the time. Later in life, when you find out that Desi Lou, uh, Desi Arnaz, and um, Lucille Ball together created Desi Lou Studios, and then after they split up, she kept the studio going uh, mm-hmm. and with her son owned most of, or not maybe not most of, but owned a large portion of the sound stages in Hollywood and rented them out to other TV shows and, and whatnot forever. And then she became one of the richest women and most powerful women in Hollywood because she was smart at a young age and understood that television is a way that uh, is where things are going. And you have to really admire her business savvy while at the same time she's getting drunk and trying to pitch a, a, a vitamin on vitamin or I'm, trying to wrap uh, candies up. I'm pretty sure that Desi Lu uh, Productions is like directly responsible for Star Trek getting yes, on TV. It, it is because is they were going to pass on it. But Lucy was like adamant about that show going on and basically forced CBS to put that show on, on television. Ricky so, was Cuban, by the way. Ah, Cuban, yeah. that's right. I couldn't remember if he was from Ba-ba-loo. Puerto Rico or from Cuba. So. But, but I Love Lucy, not the Lucy show, not the Lucille Ball show, but I Love Lucy, my number four. Which brings us to number threes, Rodrigo. Number three. So uh, way back in the 1980s, uh, some secret government employees dug up some famous guys and ladies and made amusing genetic copies. Or so is the uh, premise of Clone High, uh, a an animated sitcom uh, on MTV, whose premise was that all of the characters that went to this high school were genetic uh, copies of famous people. The main character is Abraham Lincoln. Uh, he's an awkward teen. His uh, best friend is Mahatma Gandhi. His best friend slash uh, love interest, comma, girl is uh, Joan of Arc. Uh, the school, like, jock bully is JFK. His, uh, like, the queen bee is Cleopatra. It is <laughs> really good. And it's, it's like this, uh, it's a sitcom that spends a lot of time poking fun at other sitcoms, right? Every time they would do a, a preview or something, it would be like, tonight on a very special clone high. Um, they, uh, they have some great lines. They have all of these great, like one-off, uh, um, historical figures show up. Um, you know, it's like, if you were going to go get some advice from a historical figure, you would of course go find, uh, in this case, Jesus. Um, and where would you <laughs> find them? Obviously in, at the wood shop, right? Um, <laughs> Oh, I was going to say yeah, hanging somebody, around. I don't know. He's yeah. In the um, they did, did this whole thing, uh, this whole Happy Days riff where they had the pawns, like Ponce yes. de Leon. <laughs> um, you sure just, are a regular character. Yeah. 
just so great. Uh, of course, uh, Mr. Butler Tron, the uh, kind of second in command to the the kind of villainous principal, is a, a total takeoff of Mr. <laughs> Belvedere. Right down to the fact that he uh, uh, compulsively calls everyone Wesley. Um, yeah, <laughs> Clone High is like is really just like this little treasure trove of like '90s humor. Uh, awkward teenage sitcom like straight up tropes and a lot of like basically shots fired in every direction as far as uh, as far as sitcoms go it is by far one of my favorite series um and one that ends in a cliffhanger and then the season never gets the the show never gets picked up for another season so all the clone high characters are still frozen in that uh in that freezer indefinitely did i not hear that they were going to try to revive that series I don't know. It would be difficult because, like, thinking back about it and, and watching some videos, it is, like, so 90s, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, they would they would have to, like, really change up a lot of stuff in, not necessarily in the basic premise, but in, like, the histories of these characters and everything. Um, because the whole point is that they're teens. But now they have, you know, they were teens, what, 20 years ago? Mm-hmm. So it's 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 like I mean they could they could just kind of reboot it but uh, new clones yeah it it would be interesting to see how that went yeah oh I guess I'm thinking of there's two stories one is a uh, 2014 story that had the guys who just recently quit the uh, Flash movie a while ago or who I'm sorry wrote the Flash movie Phil Lord and Chris Miller were thinking about bringing the story of bringing Clone High back and were mm-hmm. working on it but then I guess. Uh, 22 Jump Street and Flash movie and other, everything else got in the way. So there yeah. you go. And then another well, one maybe, was just a story someday. that they were re-airing the original episodes. So Yeah, and this is, a, this is an MTV show. Yeah. Um, so it's it, it, this also kind of marks, or not Marvel, you know, MTV had been doing uh, TV, just straight up TV shows for a while. But this was like Clone High was one of those shows where people were like, OK, yeah, this is funny. This is great. So are we going to start watching music videos again or is it just like Daria from here on out? Are, are yeah. we done? Yeah. 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 Matthew, what do you have for number three? Miraculously, my number three through no chicanery or altering of list whatsoever shares a creator with Rodrigo's number three. Ooh, I know what it is. I know what it is. My number three is the story of a young man named John Dorian, who graduates from medical school, shows up for his first day at uh, the Sacred Heart Hospital and is told, don't you realize you're just a large pair of scrubs to me? And thus is launched Scrubs, an eight-season-long show that never had a ninth season. There was no ninth season, and it did not Mm -hmm. happen. But eight seasons of brilliance featuring a lot of people who have gone on to be uh, kind of a big deal, and a few people who aren't. Uh, Zach Braff plays the main character. And throughout the show, the thing that I really love is they have the little fantasy sequence and the cutaways and all of the little breakaway things that modern shows have. But they play it so straight that at one point you actually see JD look away and everybody go, what's he doing? He's having one of his fantasies. He'll be back in a minute. And he literally is looking away for a minute while everyone else talks, and he comes back and he goes, boy, we're going to need a whole lot of cheese dip. (laughs) Just completely bizarre. And the daydreams of that main character become one of the better parts of the show. And as it goes on, each character becomes a more extreme 
almost caricature of of themselves but especially in the early seasons the character interplay is beautiful because his attending physician admires him and likes him and in no way is willing to ever admit that mm -hmm. so there there are bits and pieces where he's constantly trying to get dr cox to admit that he's a good doctor and cox is like fine you want me to tell you you're a great doctor i can't you're okay you could be good but you're probably going to kill people. And I need you to think about that. I need you to focus on that. And it deals with some really heavy stuff. There are episodes about mortality. There are episodes about loss. There's a whole episode about how one doctor screw up leads to three people dying and the consequences throughout the whole hospital. And yet it's still somehow really funny. Very, very, really funny stuff for all of the eight seasons of scrubs up until the final episode which is the last episode of the eighth season of scrubs and you should totally watch all eight seasons of scrubs i'm sure they're streaming somewhere which is my number three an amazing show and you know donald Faison is in it and he's hysterical all right cool uh my number three is uh I, you know i think people are gonna look at my list and go how could you not include this show on your list steven and I'm, I'm sure, and I can, I, can, I can deal with that, only because I think everyone knows that it's a great show. And so I think you can kind of discount the show. But my number three show mm -hmm. is The Adventures. Only went on two seasons on HBO. But it was the show about the almost award-winning fourth most popular folk duo in New Zealand and their attempts to raise... <laughs> and their attempts to raise a fan base in America... With their, uh, with their agent Murray, and uh, every episode had something interesting going on, but revolved around their music, and we always got one little short music vignette, and it was always weird, something strange was always going on with the show, and it was a show that my wife and I looked forward to watching every single week, and two years into it. Or after the end of the second year, they're like, no, we're not coming back. We're going to do something else. We're going to do a vampire werewolf movie. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm talking about Flight of the Concords, which the bizarreness, kind of like yours, Matthew, with uh, the monkeys, uh, kind of this bizarre stream of consciousness, loose mm -hmm. story around an, an idea or theme that they would just run with and have a lot of fun doing. Or at least, at least it looked like they were having a lot of fun doing it. Uh, but it's it's one that constantly makes me laugh and one that I'll be happy to watch again and again and again. Number three on my list, Flight of the Concords. Nice. Yeah, Flight of the Concords owes a lot to the monkeys, definitely. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. As does uh, Tenacious D, which I think oh, was yeah, a absolutely. piece. Yeah, but Tena uh, uh, those guys didn't have their own sitcom. so Sure they did. They had it on HBO. Uh, no, that was just their music videos, wasn't it? No, it was a show. It didn't necessarily have a through line, oh, okay. but it was very similar to Flight of the Concords in mm. the way they did the show. So. Mm, okay, all right. Uh, but yeah, I enjoy Flight of the Concords a lot, and um, all of them have had really good careers outside of that show and outside the group. Uh, by three of them, I meant uh, Brett and Jermaine, uh, who are the duo of Flight of the Concords. They've done a lot of other movie stuff, but uh, the uh, actor uh, who played Murray, what's his name, um, Reese... Um, Reese Darby, 
He is really funny, and he's in a couple of really good movies that have come out uh, recently that just crack me up when I see him uh, doing his thing. So if you get a chance to see Reese Darby, um, uh, check that out. And if you haven't seen Any Flight of the Concords, no. Uh, if you do get a chance to watch Flight of the Concords, uh, definitely check that show out as well. Let us get to number twos with Rodrigo's number two. Rodrigo's number two is a sitcom that uh, you, our listener, probably haven't heard of uh, or, and or you forgot about. And I don't mean that to be hip. I mean, this thing really went under the radar and it just kind of came <laughs> and went. Um, I'm talking about happy endings. Um, this was a show where the premise was... Um, you have this group of like five friends, five or six friends. Um, two of them are getting married and then their wedding is off. She leaves him at the altar. And what do you do with the friendship when you pick up the pieces? This went on for about two episodes, at which point it was basically abandoned for a more straight up, like normal sitcom thing with like brief hints of like that thing having had happen and like a little bit of like a picking up the pieces with a friendship kind of thing. Um, but mostly it really became a showcase for really one, two, three, four, five, six pretty dysfunctional friends um, kind of being neurotic at each other and just kind of throwing different things at the wall and seeing what sticks um, it's difficult to describe what exactly it is about happy endings that makes it stand out from all the other sitcoms. And really, I think it's the writing like in, in the characters' voices. There's a lot of banter that goes back and forth between the characters. It's often really fast and really funny. Um, and we're talking about all six and sometimes added characters just kind of like zinging back and forth in one scene, just kind of like, just bang, bam, 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 bam. It's so tight, so uh, tightly edited. Um, and it makes for these really hilarious scenes. Um, and I've amped it up too much, and you guys are going to watch it, and it's not going to be as good. Uh, but no, it's like, this is actually the show that is uh, kind of guilty of uh, the status quo on New Girl, because the pilot for New Girl has Damon Wayans Jr., and he was going to uh -huh. be in the show, and then they didn't pick it up. So he was like, well, I'm going to go try to find some work. So he got on Happy Endings, did uh, two seasons, I want to say. Mm -hmm. um, then the show collapsed. And then he went back to New Girl afterwards. Uh, there's actually a show on, or, or a joke on New Girl where uh, Nick is like sitting there. He's made a video about how his life is miserable. Um, and he's like kind of talking to himself and he's like uh yeah so you know make sure that you take care of yourself nick and also take care of coach if you don't if you don't pay attention enough uh to him he's just gonna find another group of white people to go hang out with you know <laughs> and it's, it's just like is this little this little joke about you know how basically damon wayne jr went to do another show and then came back cool that happens uh, matthew what do you have for number two i argued really hard about my number two because as you'll you'll remember i had a top 12 and i whittled it down and i whittled it down and i i argued with the women in my house as i often do and for the longest time i was sure that my number two was going to be good morning miami mm -hmm. 
But then I, it occurred to me that show's really not very good. Uh, so as much as I love the lead actress— It doesn't have to be actress, good. It just has to be your favorite. As much as I love the lead actress, I had to give the edge to another series, one that has stuck with me longer, one that started when I was a young boy and actually probably had a lot to do with my choice of uh, edumacation and initial career— uh, because, baby, if you ever wonder what ever became of me, uh, it was 1978, and I was sitting watching WKRP like a total couch potato. Uh, minor to WKRP in Cincinnati, which is the story of a struggling radio station where a new hotshot young program director named Andy shows up, who is initially clearly meant to be the main character, but is also super dull and is surrounded by total nut jobs in the best possible way. And everyone on the show is much more entertaining and interesting than him. <laughs> so we naturally start focusing on everybody else on the show. And everybody else includes the night DJ, Venus, who talks like this. And the morning DJ, Johnny, who's been in every major market and has had 15 different names. And of course, there's Jennifer, who actually runs the station. And uh, the big guy, Mr. Carlson, who is a completely ineffectual middle management suck-up whose mother actually owns the joint and is only keeping it open as a tax write-off. So for two seasons, we see these characters interacting. And for the first couple of episodes, it's nothing, nothing really to write home about. And then the Thanksgiving episode comes around. And as God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. And that's really the point where the show turns into something entirely different and so perfect. And the reason that it had to be my number two was when we talked about possibly not having it in the list, my family sat in the living room for a good 12 minutes just yelling catchphrases at each other back and forth, just yelling, booger, I thought turkeys could fly, walls, and chai-chai Rodriguez. And so... You have to love it. There's there's one line that I actually use that is from WKRP, and nobody knows that it's from WKRP. There's an episode where the, the station uh, engineer is on a remote at a radio or at a stereo store, and the stereo guy wants to sell him a radio, and the engineer looks at him and he says, Dale, I got a radio in my van that'll knock your whole store in the Ohio River. If you've ever heard me say that, that's where it came from. And that's why my number two had to be, even though Ashley was the lead of Good Morning Miami, it had to be WKRP in Cincinnati. You know it's a good show if it knocks my universal crutch, crush rather, off her perch at the top of the heap. So. All right, there you go. Uh, which brings me to my number two. Uh, my number two is probably one of the most offensive shows ever to be on television because anyone who watches it at some point, we'll go, oh, that offended me. Oh, that's the worst show ever. Oh, I cannot believe that this show has been going on for 20 years. The story that takes place, a show that takes place not too far from here, about five hours away, in a little town in Colorado, where four children, one of them routinely dies, go through life's struggles, trying to make a sense of the world, whether it be celebrities or... Social issues. It's funny how cartoons take take a poke at, at, at social issues and tend to uh, shine the light in the most offensive and sometimes funny ways. 
but a large group and cast of characters for a show that, in some cases, the creators are able to turn around in about a week to get done if, uh, if a topic comes up. I'm talking about the kids of South Park. I hadn't watched that show in about eight years, and I was start, slowly starting to go through the back issue of a back uh, catalog of shows that I've missed because I've got kids and it's not a show that I can really let my kids sit around and watch right now. But it is still funny and it is still topical and uh, it is on point with pulling back the curtain on what's wrong with so much of, of uh, society today. And I got to laugh and I just keep laughing. And I know it's offensive to some people, but I think once you move past that layer of, of stuff, you really find some questions that should make you question what's going on with whatever topic they're addressing that week. And I love the heck out of it. It is South Park. That is my number two sitcom. Rodrigo, I think we are ready for number ones. Number one. Number ones. So my number one favoritist sitcom is a show about uh, equal parts um, managing people like essentially being a leader and also uh, working under an oppressive corporate regime. Um, and also, it's not, it's not, I mean, there's, there's a, there's a reason why it resonates. Um, and also, uh, all about weaponizing a pumpkin or freezing your coworkers or running weird experiments on, uh, your R and D department. I'm talking about Better Off Ted, another fantastic show that really went under the radar. Yeah. Uh, only went for a couple of seasons, but it is, to me, just like this like perfect little bubble of um, what working in corporate America is like. Um, you have this like mysterious upper management that tells you to do things, and you kind of have to make it work. You have to make the best of it. And also maintain your interpersonal relationships in the process. Um, there's a little office romance. There's a little uh, bit of, there's a lot of uh, comedy that comes from the main research and development guys. Um, there is a Portia de Rossi is in it, uh, which is, you know, pretty good bona fides for any sitcom, I would say. Um, and uh, it is a show that I will rewatch regularly i probably watched the whole show because again there aren't that many episodes i think there's only like 26 um i watch the whole show probably once a year um and it's it's not even that uh but and i like i'm constantly showing this show to other people too like anybody who's like oh, i'm like have you ever seen better off that let me show you an episode let me find one you like oh you'd like this one um, is basically uh, what happens when anybody walks into my house. So uh, in case the uh, gas, um, the, the guy that works for the gas company is listening, I'm sorry about that, but I think that he did enjoy it. So uh, my number one, Better Off Ted, uh, Viridian Dynamics, making the world better for us. Awesome. Cool. I've seen a couple episodes of that. I haven't made it through the through the whole series, so I may have to pick it up, Rodrigo. Mm-hmm. You should. Rod, um, it'll like it'll give you flashbacks from your old job. I I, I really think it will. Oh, you will. You feel maybe. it. Maybe. Yeah. I just heard some things recently that 
maybe even more crazy. So um, yeah. before we get to that, let's get to Matthew's number one. Matthew's number one. I say we should get to Matthew's number one. Maybe he's having microphone problems. Maybe he is having microphone problems. Because why not? Hey, Matthew, type into the chat if you can hear us. Can you hear us, Matthew? Can I hear oh, you, I just, oh, there you go. There, there you he is. Go. There he is. Ooh, and that's how I saved Christmas. I don't know what the heck just happened. That was bizarre. I was trapped in this void, and me and two other guys were spinning on a plate as though we were green screened in. My number one should be no surprise to anyone who really pays attention to the things that I talk about. And in a lot of ways, it's kind of my jam. And when I say that, I actually refer to the fact that my family hates me. And the reason for that is for the longest time, when we first got the DVR, I set it to record and keep two episodes of Scrubs at all times. So at any given point, I could go to the TV, I could watch an episode of Scrubs, usually one I'd seen, sometimes one I hadn't seen. But I stopped doing that with Scrubs. And the reason why is because another show came into syndication. And one night, when I was half asleep and having an existential crisis, I said to that show, entertain me. And that show gave me the story of a first date between the protagonist and a beautiful young woman. And I was in, you know, one of those half asleep states where you're not really paying attention. But I was watching the show and I was completely entranced by the show and the romance. And I'm like, oh, this is the best romance I've ever been in. Hooray. And that, my friends, is why my number one is How I Met Your Mother. And if you say that to somebody, you will get one of three responses. You will get, oh, my God, it ended terribly. That is mm -hmm. true. You may get, oh, my God, I can't believe you said that. That's so embarrassing which, and eh, that's up for debate. You can be embarrassed by whatever you want. Or you'll get, oh, I secretly like that too. <laughs> very, very few people actually come out and say that How I Met Your Mother is a good show. And it is. And the main reason why is because the premise allows you to do things that a normal sitcom wouldn't. The premise is literally the main character at the age of 45 telling a story to his children which means that during certain episodes, you can have him be an unreliable narrator. Yeah. And the episode will be halfway through and he'll be like, oh my God, I forgot to tell you about the goat. And so retroactively, the story changes. And there's a whole episode where there's a girl, he can't remember the name, so everyone refers to her as Blah Blah because he can't remember her name. Or By the way, uh, uh, congratulations to Blah Blah on being on a time travel show now. <laughs> I just saw that the other day. Yeah. But the thing about How I Met Your Mother is for all of its weaknesses and for all of the fact that the last season and a half really isn't entirely necessary to the narrative and it kind of becomes the Barney Stinson show Yeah. Uh, near the end. It, they really overplay the things that are great about it. It is a show that manages to be about something without being about something. It has that, that, that Seinfeld thing where you might pop into an episode and have it be just totally about, oh, yeah, and this weird thing happened and then uh, a building exploded. Or 
there's a long episode with Brian Cranston before he was on Breaking Bad. There's a series where the running gag is he's built a building that resembles male genitalia. And the upshot of this whole thing is they show it to the buyer and the man says, that's a penis. I'm not building a penis. But throughout the show, they mess with the structure and they mess with time. And the whole final season takes place in a like a 55-hour period. So they actually do 20 episodes of, of television within the time frame of a single weekend. And if you break it down, there are very few big continuity errors, both in, in that season and in the show as a whole. And the ones that are there are kind of almost forgivable when you get to that point where it's like, well, they couldn't have known way back in season one. But sometimes they did, and it's brilliant. And also, there are about 10 episodes that feature the character of Victoria, who, if I ever become fictional, is going to be my fictional girlfriend forever. And we're going to live in a house, and I'm going to wear a brown leather vest and run towards each other in slow motion through a field. But if you watch the show, and if you, you know, allow yourself to get past its reputation for having a crappy ending, and... While it is not the, the ending that people wanted and it's not the ending that the show title implies, it really is the ending that the show's character arc implies. Yeah, totally. I was yeah. I was not nearly as pissed about that. Uh, right. About that as most people seem to be. I was like, yep, that makes sense. That completely makes sense and it's like that's it's, that's really it's what the, this show is about yeah it's like you know we they talk about uh like scott pilgrim right and mm -hmm. how in the end they changed it back to him ended up ending up with ramona whereas the whole movie they were telling you this guy should be with knives right there's right. like and there's that ending floating around out there where he does end up with knives and that is the correct ending yeah, you know, I, I feel the same way about, I feel, yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah. Cause that's what the, what the way the movie leads you, I suppose, to the narrative uh, from the comics. Um, that's how I feel about how I met your mother. It, it ends in the only way that it really could have ended. Mm -hmm. And it, it features some really, really wonderful character actors. And for all of the complaints about Barney Stinson and the Barney show, Neil Patrick Harris throws his heart and soul into that show and the best part is, if you actually pay attention to the, the stuff that he's doing and you ignore the fact that there are certain people who have actually taken parts of that character's behavior and said, yes, this is how I'm going to live my life, yes. he, he is actively blowing up. He is, he is an openly gay actor playing this super hyper-machismo womanizer so far over the top that it should be clear that it's parody, but he's so good at it and so just wonderfully achievable on all levels that you feel for this character, even though he's clearly ridiculous. And if you say to me, well, this stupid thing happened in episode three of season four, which is true, that stupid thing did happen. But remember, this is Ted telling a story and Ted is an unreliable narrator. And that's why my number one, how I Met Your Mother. Any continuity error can be wiped away by simply remembering that Ted is an unreliable narrator and something of a fatuous jerkwad. All right, there we go. Now it's time to get to my number one. And I know everyone's like, oh, here comes the Seinfeld. Nope. Seinfeld did ah. not make my top five list uh, because number the only six. reason... Uh, yes, it is actually my number six. Because <laughs> uh, so the good. only reason that, that Seinfeld became so popular 
is because of the show that came on before it. it when it was when it originally came out in, a, in its pilot episode, Seinfeld, they placed it right next to my number one show. And then whenever it went into a regular uh, series run, they actually had to move Seinfeld from its nine o'clock slot to the 830 slot. Again, right after the more popular show of uh, of NBC's must see uh, TV uh, Thursday. I'm talking about Cheers, a place Yay. where you go where everybody knows your name. And even though everyone knows your name and you all have fun, interesting things that happen in the bar, what's really interesting is these guys really didn't know much about anyone else outside of the bar, what their lives were like. Yeah, you could talk about Cliff's mom uh, or Norm's wife, but those people rarely came up in the in the show where you'd actually go home to these to these places because it was about the family and the community and the crazy, crazy antics that went on inside of that bar. And... It is a brilliant show, so well written for essentially a single room comedy. Uh, yeah, occasionally you'd have a back room or Sam's office, but for the most part, it was a single room comedy, three cameras, and it was incredibly well done. So funny, such a wonderful cast of eclectic characters that were brought to life by everyone from Kelsey Grammer to you know uh, uh, Cliff Clavin, uh, uh, what's his name, Ratzenberger. Uh, mm-hmm. It is it is a great show from top to bottom. And for people that say that it's not the number one sitcom of all time, sit down and watch that show because it is brilliant in its, it's so, sometimes it's just in your face funny, but a lot of times the comedy is so subtle, especially by the time uh, Coach uh, transitions out after he dies and you bring in Woody. Uh, Those are, wow, some great comedic moments in in the middle of tragedy uh, that that just makes for a great show. And Cheers, it doesn't get talked about enough, but it is a fantastic sitcom. It has the funniest moment on television ever. Which where was? Carla gets mad at Coach. She rips off his clip-on tie, oh, and throws, throws it in a blender, and blends it. And, and then, then goes, Coach looks my around tie. and says, anybody want to buy tie? Ah, and then cracks himself up because he thinks it's such a yes. funny joke. And the actor laughs so hard and so genuinely that I can't, every time I see that, I cannot help but laugh along. I, I, I'm just wondering if that was ever, you know, like if it was unintentional, like it wasn't scripted, like Coach was supposed to sit there, and then he just right. blurted out the actor, um, uh, what's his name? Was it it, it uh, feels like that. I know, right? He just says, anybody want to buy tie? And then just starts cracking himself up after it. And then everyone else it, in the bar is laughing too. Yeah, and that show, much like How I Met Your Mother, does something that most sitcoms don't. The characters actually stop and laugh at each other's funniness. Mm -hmm. There are moments where Cliff will say something and the other characters won't be waiting to zing him. They will actually laugh along with the fun thing that Cliff just said. Yep. Generally at him, but sometimes with him. There's not enough of that in sitcoms. No, there isn't. I wish. It's too bad that... Yeah. Sitcoms have a lot of weird rules, right? It's like pause for laughter, but never laugh. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right. Never, never say goodbye when you hang up the phone. (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, So that was my number. uh, Seinfeld would have been my number six. I said Gilligan's Island was seven. Uh, Cosby Show was my number ten. What else did you guys have on the list? Uh, Well, uh, Good Morning Miami got knocked out of the slot. I Mm -hmm. had. For a very short time, I considered my mother the car, but again, show that sucks. One that I really wanted, but there was no way I felt I could make the case for it, was from 1977. It was called Carter Country. Oh, I remember that. It, it featured Victor French, who mm-hmm. was the bearded guy from every episode of uh, 
of uh, Little House on the Prairie yeah. as a sheriff in rural Georgia. And I remember that when I was a kid because a lot of things happened in the 70s that dealt with this. But there were episodes that directly dealt with the fact that they had an African-American officer and a big fat racist mm -hmm. together. And oh, speaking of big fat racists, Good Times is on cable again. I've been watching Good Times with the Child, and that show is just amazing. Rodrigo, what else did you have on your also ran list? Uh, this was this was a rough one for friends, me. Yeah, friends I like on a, your list? I did not have friends on my list. I was never a big fan of friends. Um, I have Thirty Rock. I have uh, The Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. Frasier. Yep. Uh, Parks and Rec. Arrested Development. Ooh. Community. Um, yeah, there was a lot of like, and actually a lot of these got knocked out because of, including how I met your mother. Like the main reason why I didn't have how I met your mother on my list is, uh, um, I would. because, because I knew Matthew would. Oh yeah. You should have put, uh, it, your, show, you should have put it there on your of, number five. So Matthew would have had to talk about it and then wouldn't have had a, yeah. a, a, something to talk about it as number one. Spot. That's just mean. <laughs> that would have been super mean. I was actually, because the way That's that. That's why I didn't use cheers, Mr. Man. I couldn't <laughs> torpedo so, you too. A lot of a lot of these shows got knocked out because of like really like bad last seasons. Mm -hmm. Like right. um so a lot of them kinda like left a weird taste in my mouth. So I was like, Well, that's a good enough reason to eliminate it because this was difficult. I watched a lot I like I you know, I basically learned to speak English with Full House and Saved by the Bell right. and Family Matters. So that you know, those shows are like in a in a very literal way, they're formative. Mm -hmm. yeah. yep. Boy Meets World was on my also ran list. Also, since I had a kid at the right age at the right time, I considered iCarly and Sam and Cat, oh, which and were and Ferb, yeah. his hysterical shows. And again, those are you know those are made I think aimed at the the audience who grew up with sitcoms of the seventies too. Yeah, that's so Raven. Actually, yep. it's like in the in the mire that is Disney shows. Mm -hmm. That's so Raven always really stood out to me as something that was slightly different, slightly better. She was psychic, yo. And, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, also another so show great. that might be coming back. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I heard something about yeah. that. That's she, that's thirty years Raven. She quit the uh, the daytime show, The View, the View uh -huh. so she could go back to Disney. Well, that's kind of cool. I wonder if we're going to get her kid. Maybe do the that whole uh, Girl Meets World is yeah. not bad. Yeah, that's what I hear. Girl Meets World re bring reunites much of that old cast and does it in a way that. It's clearly aimed at these young kids who are after the millennials and don't have a name so we can call them right. terrible yet. But it also features those old characters so the parents can sit and sigh at whatever's on the Disney Channel and then go, wait, that's Topanga. I know Topanga. Right. By comparison, I heard Fuller House is pretty bad. <laughs> but, it's getting a, but it's getting a second season. Yep, well, sure. it is. I just saw the, I just saw the trailer, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's be honest. Full House wasn't exactly, you know, Heinrich Himmler. Wait, no. no. Heinrich Ibsen. <laughs> Ibsen. Ibsen. Man. On that note, Ibsen. ladies and gentlemen, we have Damn shared it. our top fives. Now it's time it's for you to late. head over to Majorspoilers.com. Share your top five sitcoms. Use the comment section. Take as much space as you want. There's no character limit. I don't think there's... Well, I think there's a 10,000 character limit. So you want to limit that. No, let's not. Uh, Majorspoilers.com is where you want to share your top five list because everybody wants to read your list because everybody loves a list. We talk with you again really soon. This 
podcast is copyright 2016 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.